Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And my name is Claudio Relsano and we wish everybody a happy new year and I hope you had a great holiday season and uh, I feel a little rusty. Steve, we haven't done this in a while. It's been a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's good and, to be back on. Though. And you know, it's funny. Uh, happy New Year to all of our listeners from all over the world. And I was thinking I was sick the last week of December and into the new year. And I'm still a little sick. And I thought, man, you know what? I've never been sick over New Year's, but I'm happy. And you said, why would you be happy? Because now it can only get better. You can get out of the way. That's there it. So now I'm, I'm going to get, I get the sick out of the way, God willing. And, you know, I just get healthier and get better. I was broke, you know, because it was Christmas. So you're paying your bills. So, so you come into the new year, you know, you're broke, you're sick, you're tired. And you're like, man, this is, this is perfect. Because right. I don't want to, I don't want to come in January 1st on top of the world. It's like, you know where you're going at that point. You're getting flicked off the cliff, you know, you so. Go. No, we got a great guest today. And yeah, folks, welcome back. Happy New Year. And uh, we know you're going to enjoy tonight's show. We are joined by Mr. Bob Sorrentino. Bob, I got the opportunity to meet uh, whew, about a month or so ago. And I think he was, I think is another rich invite. Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this another rich invite? Uh, well, I know rich, but uh, but we talked about, uh, because I interviewed Michael Cavieri. Ah, too. there it is. I was trying to remember, I was trying to remember the connection because I get so many uh, introductions. And, I'm, and, I, and for the record, I am grateful for the introductions, one of the things, Bob, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna start off here in a little bit. But I want to make a quick note here was that uh, again, Rich, appreciate everything you're doing. Michael Cavier was a guest last at the, towards the end of last year. You know, we got Bob tonight. We've had some other guests, you know, on that was all part of this kind of community that's doing all this stuff in the Italian American community and are very in- engaged. And these are people I would not have met had it not been for this show. So if there is no other reason to keep doing the show. I am just having a blast meeting all these wonderful people. And with that being said, Bob, welcome to the show. And again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Oh, no, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Oh, no, glad to have you. You know, you and I, we spoke a few, oh, geez, about a month ago now. My time flies, huh? But we spoke about a month ago. I had a great conversation. And, you know, obviously you're very passionate about your Italian-American culture. And you're, we're going to get into all the research and some of the really cool things that you found and talk about some of your trips back Claudia and I, we always love to start off because this is kind of our litmus test. And, and I want to say it's kind of a test in saying, okay, how Italian are these people? So, Bob, let's start off with where are you from? And let's, let's, that's the test number one is do you understand the real depth of that question? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I spoke to this philosopher type person and I interviewed her and she said, that's a loaded question when you ask where you're from because it, where you're from now. Where were you born? Both. Where Both. Were you born? <laughs> Where's your family from? Where are you from now? We want to know Who are you hiding from? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was born in Queens, New York. Corona, Queens, that is. Actually, I was born in Whitestone, but my family's from, from Corona. If you know um, the King of Queens, yeah. and if you know the, the opening where he walks away from the Lebanese King, uh, my grandparents lived about four blocks from there. Wow. Actually, so, I do know the show, and I like the show, so it's the irony. The irony. Yeah, it's a great show. And I, th- I think, show. I'm pretty sure Jim Valvano was from uh, Corona. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I think a lot of people were from Corona. <clears throat> Bert Young was from Corona. My cousins knew Bert Young as a, as a boy growing up. And uh, But my, my family, my mom's family was from Torito Body, and my dad's family was from Naples, the city itself, not outside the city. They actually lived in the city. Fantastic. And uh, again, a lot of folks, we start off with that question because it's the true litmus test. Have you done your homework? I do want to dive into something because when you were talking, we 
you know, we talked about your, you know, your, the research that you had done. We talked about the genealogy. And let's kind of go back with your family. And I'm kind of jumping ahead here in the interview questions. Tell the listeners a little bit about your family and the roots in Italy. So my mom's family, like I said, is from Torito Bari. They were farmers and they came here in, in 1915 and um, they were very poor. And, uh, you know, they came for, uh, actually, the reason that they came, the way I heard the story was World War One was just breaking out and my grandfather had served in the Libyan war in Africa. And my grandmother said, you're not gonna fight in another war. Uh, so we're going to go to America, and and her brother was here. But I think they were planning to go back because they left my uncle behind, my oldest uncle, with his grandparents. But they they had one child with them, and they had another one coming on the way. And uh, before you know it, they never went back. My dad's family, his father uh, comes from, I guess, a gentrified sort of family, his, uh, my great-grandfather was an attorney and later became a Supreme Court Justice in, in Naples. Wow. And uh, my grandfather was actually studying to be a priest. And we heard two stories about that. The first one was that my grandfather would tell was that my grandmother used to walk past the window and flirt with him. Um, but my cousin told me the real story was my grandmother, who came from two noble families, her fancied fancy carriage broke down in front of the seminary and my grandfather helped fix the carriage and they gave him a ride someplace and the rest is history. But my grandmother comes from two very, very noble families in Italy. The first one was Piromalo Capici Picicelli and the second one was Caracciolo. And I was able through the Libra di Oro trace my direct line back to the first Caracciolo in Naples in 950 A.D. Wow. 950 A.D.? Yeah. Wow. Now, there's That's a, impressive. And there's a more of a story to that, so let's talk about that, because at some point you went back. And, That's uh, crazy. Yeah, you, you kind of went back, and there was, tell, tell, me, tell, tell the folks Usually about Usually people this. go back to 1900, maybe 1890-something, <laughs> you know. Wow, go ahead. Well, it's all well, yours. So when I started doing the research... I started with what I like to call my grandfather's calling card, if you will. It's about the size of an index card. And it was always in, in the family album. You know, the album with the black pages and the little corners there. <laughs> and my mother would tell me that my great-grandfather was some sort of Duke account or something like that. But that's all I really know. Nobody really even talked about it that much. But the card had this family crest in his name, and it says, the Duke de Capricota, which from the Dukes of Capricota. And so that's kind of where I started. And when I first put him in, Googled him, I get the first thing that popped up was this page from the Libra di Oro. And it showed Nicola Piromalo marrying Amelia Caracciolo in 1882 in San Giovanni in Naples. The dates were right. The names were right. My father's name is Nicholas. My, my oldest aunt was Amelia. So those things, right, you know, the Italian way, everything matches up. But I had never heard the name Caracciolo before. So I called my cousin, who lived with my grandparents, and I asked her, and she said, oh, of course, that's Nanny's uh, mother. And I said, oh, nobody ever mentioned this. I said, do you know how famous they were? And she said, oh, she told us that we had a saint in the family and there was an admiral in the family and that her cousin was a princess, but we just thought she was a crazy old lady and didn't really pay that much attention to it. 
Well, it turns out that her cousin was a princess because her great-grandfather was a prince. And then through that family, through its Caracciolo di Tocodolo, uh, they go back to the princes of Avellino. And my ninth great-grandfather owned much of current-day Campania, or at least was a lord, the duke, prince, count of all of these places in Campania. Wow. So, whenever you know, when I do my family history, I get... Uh you know, machinists and shepherds. So uh, it's not every day that we can do our genealogy and find out we're essentially related to royalty. And you were able to find that. So that's that was pretty neat. We're, we'll talk about your experiences when you went back and how they treated you. But uh, Bob, now you, you did all this research. You said 950 AD. How hard was it to cut some things out? I mean, obviously you couldn't put everything in the documentary. What were some of the things that you left out? When I probably left out, was all of these kind of minor little fiefdoms around because, you know, all of the marriages back then were marriages of of consequence, you know, so of power, you know, they, 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 they had to do these marriages. Now, my cousin in Italy, Cinzia, told me that on the, on the Piramalo side, that they had the money, but Capici Picicelli, Mm-hmm. They were the they were the people from Capacota. They had the name, so eventually the names were all merged into to one family name. And she's still on the hunt to try and get some of the property back and things like that because she thinks that the Capici Picicelli people stole from the Piramalo and those <laughs> kinds of things. So uh, it's intriguing, you know, when you when you start digging into that. How, how was the reaction from your family that you were going to begin this documentary and research and once it was all finished? They, um, I have to say that most people don't really care. Oh. And it's... I find that with everybody. Huh. Now, but in your family, they didn't us. care? Is that what you mean? Or, or Yeah, even in my family. I mean, there were a couple here and there. But most of them were like, yeah, you know, it was so long ago. With them. And what I find when I do my interviews and, and I talk to other people who, who do the research, there seems to be one or two people in every family that I chosen, I'll use the word chosen, right. to keep this stuff alive. And everybody else says, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, but I don't really care. You know, when you said that my dad was into our family history, as my mom was on her side, and I know the whole story and I have it written down. But there, like you said, there's some, eh, they didn't care at all. And one thing before Steve goes on, uh, I had mentioned a few weeks ago that I was uh, fortunate enough to be invited to the Italian Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame in Chicago. And I was really touched and impressed with the award winners and how much they knew about their family history and how much they appreciated their family history and how they were able to articulate where this one was from and how this one was important to me. And it was just an uplifting thing for me to be able to hear that, that there were others out there who were raised with that. It just meant a lot to me. And But like you said, there's always somebody who doesn't care, and that that's a little disheartening. Yeah, yeah. You know, by the way, Bob, it's funny that you said that there are there's always an individual in the family that ends up being what I'm going to call the caretaker of the family lineage. And I feel like I've, I've sort of assumed that role. Me and my sister did a pretty decent job of trying to, you know, track our ancestry and find all this. And you're right. It's for some reason you tell people and they go, oh, that's nice. You know, like, well, what, what do I that. care? Yeah, if you're lucky. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's they don't care. Why do you think that is? Why, why is there no – because it's not just – I think it's a, it's not just an Italian thing. I mean, I think it's just people in general. 
they just don't seem to be, you know, I don't know if it's interested or, or what the word is, but they just don't seem to care about their history, which is ironic because then you see these commercials for services that allow you to, you know, pay money to the website. You go out and search your family lineage. So on one hand, there must be people that care, but yet a lot of people don't care. Why, why do you think that is? This may sound, sound way out there, but I just, I just think we're chosen. I don't think there were coincidences, you know, and, and especially with some of the people I interviewed. They've told me stories that not an accident. Something made this happen. Call it karma, call it fate, call it whatever you want. I just kind of think there's a force out there that drives us to find the ancestors. Or or some answer to something that's important. Again, it's kind of like my point. Had I not started down this path, you know, seven, eight years ago, I wouldn't be sitting in this seat right now. Let let me ask both of you a question. I want to throw Steve a curve and and, uh, you maybe a softball. Bob, Steve, what was your motivation to do it. And Bob, what was your motivation to do the documentary? Steve, you go ahead. Well, my, my motivation was, was more of an obligation. You know, I was very close to my grandmother. And after she passed away, I felt like there were a lot of unanswered questions about just family. I didn't know my relatives. We just were not a close family. They were close when they were younger, but then it's like everything. They grow up, they move away. You don't see them as much. People die. The next second and third generations, barely know each other. So to me, it was an, it was an obligation and a curiosity to, to keep that alive. Bob, what, what would you say? Two reasons, really. The first one has to do with my, my own research uh, in that I've always liked history. I was always good in history. I wanted to find out the history of my family, especially, especially behind this you know card that I had seen since I was a little kid. The second reason was, and the reason for doing the, the documentary, you know, the Italian-American experience was to, like you said, have the generations behind me, I'm in my 70s, to have the generation behind me and behind that one, to be able to go back and look and see that Italian-Americans weren't clowns, they weren't mafia, they weren't stupid. They were hardworking people. They were family people. They had good experiences. And I was able, lucky enough, to be able to find, you know, seven or eight people that had movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s like I did, and to portray Italian-Americans as just loving family people who got together and ate food and just enjoyed life. Now, let's, let's talk about the documentary now. What was the, you know, you're kind of answering the, what was the driving factor behind it, but for the folks that are listening, describe, tell us about the documentary, you know, what's it about, where you were able to get the research from, a little more details on it, because uh, I was able to watch some of the pieces that you'd sent me, and, and I just enjoyed it. I remember we were talking, there were a few things that really grabbed me. There's a few comments, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember you and I were talking about it, but it's, but it's actually very well done. But talk to the folks, tell us about the documentary itself. Well, the, what got me started with that is I, I interviewed about two years ago now, actually two and a half years ago, uh, just the super, super, the ultimate Italian-American, uh, Anthony Riccio. And I found him, you know, kind of like this, like just bouncing around the internet one day, and I came across this author, and, and it seems intriguing, he seems intriguing to me, and I cold-called him, and he said, sure, I'll talk to you. And he, he wrote several books, but Anthony, when he was in his early 20s, right out of college, got a job as the advocate for Italian-American immigrants in the that came over in the 1900s. And now they were in their 70s when he started interviewing them and taking their pictures. And he recorded these interviews 
He's got over a hundred of them. And and we talked about doing something together and, and all that. And two years ago, actually two years ago, almost to the day, but you said, see, nothing happened by accident. Almost to the day, Anthony passed away from a sudden heart attack. And I didn't know him that well. I never met him in person. But everybody that I knew that talked to this man loved him. He was just such a great guy. And we had talked about doing something similar to this with the people that he interviewed and the photos that he took. So the opening is really Anthony's idea because he said to me, I have a picture of a gate in Italy and I want to show that gate because I want to show where these people came from, that they came from farms, that they came from mountain towns and things like that. Like I said, I met a couple of people through Anthony, great guys in Boston. And, and I just asked people, do you have, if you have videos like I do, movies like I do, Send them to me because I want to capture Anthony's idea. I don't want Italian-Americans that are in their 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s to forget where they came from. Well, the irony is, though, is unfortunately, I think we're at a stage where we're trying to reverse that, but I think too many have either diluted or simply forgotten. Bob, you know, you mentioned something about um, people kind of making fun of us and in the past couple of weeks I don't know well you're from New York New York Giants quarterback Tommy DeVito, Tommy DeVito and his agent Sean Stellato who I happen again I happen to, to have met him an unbelievably nice person who's extremely proud of his heritage and we're going to have him on this show but there were some comments that really bothered the hell out of me uh, even Peyton Manning who surprised me because I always liked him and, you know, the, the snide remarks, the comments, and I'm not going to repeat them. I'm sure you've heard them. What were your thoughts? They, again, they really bothered me. What were your thoughts if you heard any of them? Um, I didn't actually hear any of them. Um, I, you know, I don't want to bore everybody with why I don't support the Giants anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> You're Pittsburgh radio. You're okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they, we had tickets for 50 years. And um, when they built the new stadium, they wanted us to pay $20,000 per seat license. And I said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was uh, the but, common stuff, you know, the, what's, in the, uh, what's in the bag. The, you know, he had a suit on. They made fun of the suit, the hat. Every, you know, he was talking with his hands. And my dad used to get upset about this. Everybody talks with their hands. Why we get that, that label, I don't know. But um, there was just some things that I, I was just surprised this day and age that uh, was said, and again, it was apparently nobody was bothered by it. I mean, Italians were, but you're allowed to say that, I guess. But I was just kind of curious if you had heard anything being from out that way. Well, you know, and it's kind of funny that you say that, because when I talk to people of my age who grew up, I didn't get it. We were already past that kind of, you know, they go up kind of thing, right? And I think, because I say to my wife, because she's half Puerto Rican, I said, you know, we never referred to ourselves as that. No. So why do people do it now? We never called ourselves those names. No. And you see other, you know, you see other nationalities do that today. And I say, well, if you don't want to be referred to as that, don't call yourself that. But now, and I know you've talked to Michael about this, Hollywood puts it out there and acts like we do this. I never heard, and that's why I did the movie, and that's why I asked the, the people the questions. I never heard my aunts and uncles sit around the table screaming and yelling at each other, cursing at each other, calling each other names that. 
Never once did I ever see that. No. To your point, though, it, even if that happened in an Italian home, you're going to tell me to help in any other ethnicity's <laughs> exactly. home? Like people exactly. don't argue in their homes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's insane. Bob, what else What else are you working on? I know the documentary was a big deal. We're going to give our listeners uh, where they can find that and get more information. But what are the projects you got working on? I'm hoping to do something more along the lines of doing the, the, the research. So I'm hoping to put together something similar to what you're asking me now. Why, you know, finding people who've done the research or had their stories and, you know, why they want to do the research and do they feel like I feel. So more along the lines of not just the Italian-American part, but what is driving you to go back and find your roots in Italy? Why are you doing that? And what have you found when you did that? And what was it like if you went back to the hometown what was it like? How did the people treat you? And what was your experience? Now, Bob, if you wouldn't mind, and uh, you and I were talking about this, was there anything special that happened to you when you went back to Italy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, and, I know um, this story, so if you don't mind sharing, it's a, it's a real, I think it's a wonderful story. Yeah, and, and I was fortunate enough to meet some of the uh, um, Letizia Sinisi from Italy rooting the hope we put together the first trip and then kind of Help me with the second trip a little bit, but since she knew the history of my my grand my grandmother's family, then I had met my cousin Chinzio online and, and all of that, and, and she confirmed everything that I knew, and we compared notes and all of that kind of stuff. So we decided to go to uh, Naples and then go back to some of these towns where my third and fourth great grandparents actually were the, the you know the Duchess or the Count or whatever. So we started in Naples. We went into the, you know, San Gennaro. It's actually on the Church of San Gennaro. He's in there, but it's the Madre something or whatever. But we were met by a cousin of my grandmother's who took us around and explained to us the, the Caracciolo story and showed us actually St. Saint Francis, uh, San Francisco Caracciolo is, has a statue in there and San Gennaro. And, and he gave us books explaining everything and all of that. So that was kind of a special thing. And the current Hotel Caracciolo on Via Carbonara was one of my ancestral homes. And so when I walked in there, they still have the cobblestones on the walkways and the walls. And, you know, of course, it's modern, but, you know, you, you kind of get the flavor. But we went to three places. Uh, we went to Capricota, where my third great-grandparents, or my third, actually my third great-grandmother, was the Duchess of Capricota. And when we went in the church there, I saw on the, on, the, on the altar, there were vestments that had my grandparents' family crest on it. So after the mass and all of that, they brought us in. It was on a Sunday. They took us in. And the, um, the priest did a whole talk about me coming back to the town. And my family was the Duchess and all of this kind of stuff. And nobody left the church. Everybody stayed there. So then they asked me to talk. And I wish I speak Italian, but I don't. But I, you know, they translated and nobody left. They stayed there. So it was quite an experience. And I was thinking to myself, why are these people staying here to listen to me, this American, you know, from 300 years ago? And the priest explained that the vestments were donated by my fourth great-grandmother, Marie Angela de Riso. The vestments were made in Naples. And he said, these, this is the only one that I put out here. But we have many, many, many more that you're family donated to the church. So that was, you know, great. And they took us to a restaurant and, and talked about, you know, what the, what they did in that town and all that kind of stuff. Then we went to um, Avellino, where my ninth and eighth great-grandfathers -grand were the princes of Avellino. And those are the ones who owned much of Campania. The palazzo there is now one of the, you know, the town halls, if you will. They walk us through this archway and then people dressed 
from the 1500s, and they blow the horn like the queen was showing up. <laughs> <laughs> so that just, like, I'm standing there like this American doofus, right, trying to, <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? With a T-shirt and shorts <laughs> but, on and maybe flip-flops. <laughs> uh, but they were very, very serious about this, you know? So, so that, like, really, really intrigued me. And they took us down, and then they took us to the church. You always go to the church, of course, right? They pointed out there were three chairs in red velvet, and they explained to me that those, the priests use the chairs now, but those chairs were from the 17th century, mm. and they were the chairs that the prince would sit in. So Leticia said, can Bob sit in the chair? And they said, sure. Anything goes in Italy, by the way. Yes, it so does. So I got to sit in this, the chair of my ninth great grandfather. Wow. And and when we left, I, I remarked to, to Leticia, I said, that was amazing. I said, I, I, I said I'm just blown away by it all. And, and she said, they don't forget, or we don't forget, actually, our history. And you have to understand that for hundreds of years, that these towns were run by the nobility. And they provided the work, they provided the farmland, they provided food, they, they built the church, they put the stuff in the church. And for the most part, they treated the people very, very well. And she said, but if you think they treated you like royalty here, when you get to Calabria and go to Montebello, they're going to treat you like God. And sure enough, we got there. They spent the whole day with us. One of the, the actually, they brought us into two of the homes that were, were my grandparents, or my great-great-grandparents. Uh, one, somebody still lives in. They gave me this big old key to open up the door and go up the stairs and stand on the balcony and wave. But the townspeople spent the whole day with us, and they treated us like so special, and not because of my ties so much as they really, really are happy to see us go back and experience our town. Now, Bob, that's exactly right. And that is, that is exactly why it is important for people who are listening, whether you're, you don't have to be Italian, no matter what you know ethnicity you originate from, you probably most likely immigrated here at some point in the United States or wherever. And somebody left, and there's a good chance that they left friends and family behind. They didn't all leave. They couldn't all leave. Now, there may be some instances where large enough portions of the town did move, but, but they didn't all leave. And that was the one thing I discovered. I had living relatives. I didn't know that, that they were still there. And so when you go back and find these people, what you got to understand is you're closing a loop. You know, the son or the daughter leaves. They go to America, you know, 120 years ago, 140 years ago, 150 years ago, whatever. They go to America. They wave goodbye. There's no internet, you know, no telephones in these towns. Well, then you get major wars. A lot of things have happened. And whatever reason, that contact is lost. People die. Now it's, it's severed. When you make the effort to go back and find these people, to, to your point, Bob, they don't forget. When I went back and I talked to my cousin and his sister's older sister, she since passed, she was in tears because she remembered her grandmother telling her stories of her brother coming to America. In her mind... It's almost as if we brought that moment in time to the present. And that means something to those people. In America, we, we just were not sentimental. And I think that is such a negative, that, which is why a lot of people don't care. They're indifferent because they're too focused on the, the rush and, the, and the, you know, running around and check my phone and what's on TV. And we're disconnected from the human nature of our, of our very being. You would, would you kind of agree with that, Bob, or is Steve now far out in left field? No, no, I would, I would agree 100%. And that's kind of where, you know, where I mentioned that, you know, the, the karma thing or whatever comes into play, because 
We were supposed to go. We were supposed to make the trip in April of, of uh, 2019. And COVID hit, and we had to postpone. And we wound up postponing for, I guess, two years or two and a half years, whatever it was, long time. But the upside of that was just before we went, maybe a month or so before we went, I was contacted by my dad's half-first cousin. And the reason he's my dad's half-first cousin, my grandfather, my great-grandfather was 60, and he married a woman who was 30. And she had two daughters, and Nicola was the son of one of those daughters. And he was actually younger than me. His parents, his mother was around the same age as my father, and he's actually younger than me. And he said, I know you're coming. We're going to meet you. I know you're going to lunch. We're going to meet you at lunch and, you know, say hello and all that kind of stuff. We go to lunch and he said, I know you're going to the cemetery tomorrow. I'm going to meet you there. I'll show you where, you know, Nicola is, is buried and my mom is there and, and her sister and, and all of that. So we went there and took us around. And then he said, I'm going to take you now. We're going to go to Torre del Greco. And my father told me some 35, 40 years ago that he had family in Torre del Greco, but that's all I knew. And so we get to this apartment building and we're going in and we're going up the stairs and he says, just wait here for one minute. So I hear the Italian going back and forth and all the excitement and, and everything going on. And he said, okay, you can come up. Well, I go up the stairs. There are three women in their 90s. Uh, two of them are my dad's first cousin. One of them looks like my grandmother. And they are just thrilled to see us. And you know, the, as soon as I walked in that door, there was a connection that this is family. Hard to explain. I never met these women, never knew these women existed, but the connection was there and they felt it too. Well, they start whipping out pictures and they had my parents' wedding photo from 1944 with my grandmother's handwriting on the back. Mm. And, you know, they, of course they fed us. Of course, you know, they had to feed us. There was lunch and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But not only did they have photos from America that my grandmother had sent, they even knew gossip from 1960 that somehow my aunt must have told them, my grandmother must have told them. I don't know who told them, but they knew There's no secrets, Bob. There's no secrets in Italian families. <laughs> no, no. So about a month or so after we got back, Nicola went through his mom's stuff, and he sent me a, a picture of a photograph of my grandmother that she sent to her father, and written in Italian on the back, it says, and this goes back to what you were just saying a little while ago about you know people leaving. From your dear daughter to my dear father, so you never forget. So she knew she was never going to see her father again. You cannot fathom that. You cannot fathom Because even when people immigrate to this country now, they go home every year, they send money home, they talk on the phone. It, it, you, you can't fathom saying goodbye to someone knowing you're never going to see them again because you're moving. It's just it's something people, we cannot relate to those experiences and those emotions. Bob, my dad's hero, uh, a relative of his, was an eye doctor. His name was Zucladio, Uncle Claudio. And my dad idolized him and obviously named me after him. Who, after all the research you did, was there somebody that you came up with and found out about that you just were, that you admired and respected even more and, and kind of became a hero to you? Well, nobody like really, really close. But I think I'll answer it this way. The thing that surprised me more than anything when I was doing this research is I found out that I'm a direct descendant of Isabella d'Este. Now, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Isabella d'Este? No, I have not. Yeah. So nobody ever has either. <laughs> but she, It's your job to make sure um, that they have. That's right, Bob. You have the microphone, sir. And so she was like the Jackie Kennedy of the Renaissance. Mm. Uh, she married Francesco Gonzaga, who was, uh, you know, mercenary type of soldier type of thing. who was always bouncing around. But 
she, in her own right, she was a, a duchess through her father, but then she, she became the duchess of Gonzaga's place also. And she was a real patron of the arts. She, there's a library in Italy, in Mantua, that has over 40,000 of her letters to and from her. Um, and she was painted by Titti and Raphael, Da Vinci, you, you name it. She was painted by these people. Da Vinci um, painted a picture of her? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's big time right there. In fact, he he, when when the town was a was attacked, he was actually there in the town and like spent years there. But wow. not only was she all of that, but because her husband was always a fighting, she actually ran the city, and was probably better at it than him. <laughs> at least that's what it you know that's what it, people have written, and so much better that he was captured for like three years. He was held in captivity. When he came back, he was like you know pissed because. <laughs> job running the place than you did. Like I said, I never heard of her. And so, you know, I'm doing a little, and some of these people in my book that, that were relative to mine, but, you know, we know all about kings and queens of England and Spain and France and Germany and all those places. Nobody ever writes about the Italians. And there were so many smart, famous people that it's sad that we don't recognize who these, these people are. Now, she is featured briefly in the series the borgias i don't know if you guys saw that if you haven't it's a really good series but they didn't do it justice like hollywood screws everything up <laughs> i am they shocked bob a, they made her out to be a, this crazy lady she had only had a little bit part in it where Fran her husband is a big part of it because francesco gonzaga was had an affair with lucretia borgia so they show that and they show isabelle este as nutty woman which is the furthest thing from the truth. So again, I kind of feel my obligation now is to highlight some of these people. And I'll tell you one other story about the, the Borgias, because as we were sitting there watching it, I was saying to my wife, well, that's a relative, that's a relative, that's a relative. There are two people in there that are direct great-grandfathers. One is Alessandro Farnese, who later became Pope Paul the, the Fourth. Or third, Pope Paul III. And he became Pope because the Pope at the time, the Borgia Pope Alexander, was with, for lack of a better word, his sister. And the sister went to him and said, hey, you know, my brother needs something to do. So he made him a cardinal when he was 18 years old. One of the other really crazy people that's in this thing is the King of Naples, who he liked to keep his friends close and his enemies closer. And he had, when he did away with his enemies, he had them stuffed and had them sitting around the table, the dining room table, for all to see. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely gentleman. Yeah, there was so much. I tell you what, the Italian Renaissance is probably the most interesting time in humanity. When you think of the Borgias around at the same time, Da Vinci's around at the same time, Machiavelli's around, there's all these papal states and, and regular states are feuding. I mean, the history of the Renaissance and what came out of that is incredible. All the, the artists that have come out of that, it's uh, to your point, I don't, I don't know why we don't see more of an interest in that instead of making up ridiculous movies on comic book characters. There's so much more, you know, more interesting information and, and, and stories out there that are actually true. Um, Bob, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule today. We do appreciate it. Now, one of the things we always like to do is give you a chance. 
where can folks get a hold of your information, books, documentaries, anything you're working at? Where can they go reach you at? The best place is if you go to my website, www.italiangenealogy.blog. Everything is there. You could you could get to the YouTubes from there. You could get to the, the podcast from there. The podcast, Italian Genealogy, is, is on all the major podcasts directories so you know apple and whatever my book farmers and nobles is available on amazon and that tells the story of my research and then it highlights some of these 30 or 35 families that i come from and then finally the italian american experience which is the documentary that you referred to is available on vimeo awesome all right so that was italiangenealogy.blog correct that gets them started yeah but obviously, you can reach out to us at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. We will gladly connect you. Bob, I want to thank you again for your time. Very interesting story. And I can finally say I know royalty. <laughs> awesome. All right, Bob. Listen, you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much, Bob. And you take care. Oh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, folks. I want to thank Bob for a wonderful interview and spending some great time with him. And again, please go out and check out his information. In the meantime, we got to pay the bills. So we'll be right back. If you missed Italian Impact Weekly live on WKHB Radio every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. on 620 a.m. 102.1 FM, you can always listen to the archives by going to www.italianimpactweekly.com and hear such great guests as Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, Chris Corciani, Vince Papali, and many local successful business people. And we have many more great guests coming up. We can't wait for that. Uh, on our other show, Talking Business, Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. You can hear that show on www.crsmmedia.com. On this show, we will cover such topics as different funnels of income, dealing with rejection, pivoting to a new career. And we've had a lot of great guests on, including boxing icon Jerry Cooney. We have a lot of other upcoming uh, great guests like Donnie Lalonde, another boxing champion, another boxing champion, David Diaz. Uh, he was just inducted to the Florida uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. He's been very successful, as is Donnie in real estate. So we're looking forward to having them on. If you're interested in having your own podcast, contact Empire Media Ventures at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Or for appearances by myself and Steve, you can always connect with us on questions at italianimpactweekly.com. My other show, Claudio Relsano Show, on ClaudioRelsano.com had such great guests as Ken Griffey Sr., Rocky Blyer, Dick Vermeil, Roman Gabriel, Pierre LaRouche, Sid Bream, Jim Rooker, and many others. Again, ClaudioRelsano.com. You can check out my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. There are no more books at the Robinson Barnes & Noble, which is good, but you can always get the book on my website at ClaudioRelsano.com. And finally, I was uh, very fortunate and flattered to be on the Bob Muto Show, Papa Dukes, Bob Muto, the host uh, who was on our show. You can listen to that show on podpage.com forward slash Papa Mutes. Bob's a great guy. Really enjoyed uh, doing that interview. I know Steve was on that show as well. So tune into that show and uh, check that interview out. We'd also like to thank Chris Gonzalez. Chris is a field agent with the Knights of Columbus. If you have any questions about joining the Knights of Columbus, or if you're a current Knight of Columbus and would like to learn more about financial preparedness, reach out to Chris at 412-605-9074. Thanks to Greater Pittsburgh Travel. For any of your travel needs, let Tom and the team at Greater Pittsburgh Travel know, and they'll take care of you. For more information, call 412-331-2244 or visit their website at www.greaterpittsburghtravel.com.
For all of your plumbing needs, be sure to try Pellucci Plumbing. Nick and the team have decades of experience and will get you back up and running. For more information, call Pellucci Plumbing at 412-782-5050. And we want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. If you're interested in learning more, you can find their contact information on Facebook at Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, thanks Domenica and the team at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh for your support. And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. And that's La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei. We'd also like to thank Chris Gonzalez from the Knights of Columbus. If you have any questions about joining the Knights of Columbus, reach out to Chris Gonzalez at 412-605-9074. All right, folks. Thank you again for joining us, and welcome back. And we are joined by Tom Deeks. He is the president and owner of Greater Pittsburgh Travel. Tom, how are you? Great, Steve. How are you? Thank you for having me. Claudio, thank you for having me. Thank you. Tom, we were waiting for the first-time listener, what is it, or long-time listener, first-time caller? People don't do that anymore. They used to have nicknames, the plumber and uh, all, those, all those guys. Well, Tom, first of all, again, we're, we're glad to finally get you on the show. We've been talking about this for a little while now. And, uh, you know, for the folks that are listening, not only does Tom sponsor us, Tom is actually a friend of mine, and he has planned my vacations in the last several years. And I figured, hey, you know, it's wintertime. And I wanted to introduce folks to Tom. And Tom, we're going to talk a little bit about who you are. But then I want to talk travel. And, you know, why would I even be thinking about travel when it's snowing on the ground? But first, let's kind of introduce folks. Tom, tell me a little bit about you and tell me about the business. Born and uh, raised in McKees Rock, so I'm in this area my whole life. Uh, my office is in Robinson Township right now. I live in Robinson Township. So I've been in the Pittsburgh uh, area and very proud of it my whole life. Love, love to talk about and show off Pittsburgh to anybody being in the travel industry. Um, occasionally people from other parts of the country and world will be coming to Pittsburgh, and I totally enjoy bragging and showing off Pittsburgh, and, and uh, they are very impressed. So, And I've had my travel agency business. I've been in the travel industry since 1979. Mm which is what I guess this year is what 40 45, 45 years yeah. okay so um, people used to say to me uh, boy I guess you've seen it all and my response during COVID used to be yeah and I hope this is all I hope I have seen it all and I don't want to see any more you know because there's so many different things in those 45 years that come and come different parts of the industry and one of the things I will talk about later why it's important to to use a travel agency advisors but I've had my own business coming up on uh, 30 37 years now 38 years so um, I said I've been in the industry for a good 45 and had my own business 30 38 years so a lot has changed a lot it just continues to change we had our best year ever last year 2023 and this year is starting out the way last year ended it's just incredibly incredibly busy travel demand is extremely high i think what we learned uh we learned a lot of things through and i hate to even keep doing this because it sounds like it's you know we keep talking about it too much but going back to the covid pandemic era etc i think a lot of us realized several things you know one having to be quarantined, cooped up, whatever, however you want to call it. Um, but then I think we realize that some important things in life may not be necessarily always material things, but I think experiences, myself included, looking to do more experience-wise and 
seeing and it's not all just well, I want to travel you know I want to see the world and so forth uh, I look at it as experiences because traveling is fabulous going to the dis- different destinations is fabulous sightseeing is fabulous experience I think is what we're, we're looking for because we get to have a, a new and different experience whether it's you know what we're seeing and viewing but meeting people from around the world around the country I think that's that's helped a lot you know our economy is doing pretty well and uh, so I think a lot of people are they're they're going they're wanting to travel the demand is very 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 high so um, there are a couple of reasons for it like I just just mentioned but yes uh, the first quarter of the year in the travel agency industry I tell people it's like the retail industry for Christmas shopping season I mean it's extremely extremely busy for us and a lot of people ask why like steve mentioned you know it's in the winter you know what are we doing well it's people are traveling next week next month spring spring summer fall planning for everything i just had an appointment with clients that they're wanting me to work on ireland for this year and italy for 2025 so i mean 20 i'm booking things for 2025 i booked a trip last year last week for somebody for 2026 so it's uh, uh, they're not op- to say that you have to. <laughs> they're optimistic on the or state maybe- of the world Tom that's the good news yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. they think we're still going to be here yeah. two years good for them Tom let's kick <laughs> it off though because you know what you, you said something yeah. about the economy and a lot of folks are feeling the pinch inflation is hurting but yet people are still mm-hmm. traveling there's a lot of sites mm-hmm. out there that say listen you can come out to our website and we'll get you the cheapest deals so the number one mm-hmm. question everyone's going to ask is why do we need an agent if I can go online and get a cheaper deal Okay, because do you really know you are getting a a less expensive deal, and are you combine are you comparing apples to apples, oranges to oranges? So when internet travel began, everybody wrote off the travel agent, travel advisor, and and when I meet people and they say, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm a travel agency. Oh, I thought you all went out of business after the internet. Well, okay, could be further from the truth. So what people don't understand, if they're going out on the internet, and I have a saying that I use quite often when, when a subject like this comes up, as I say, people don't know what they don't know. And you may look on the internet and say, well, it's on the internet. It has to be true. Um, <laughs> and I'll have people say to me, well, the pictures look great. When I got there was this. I say, well, how many bad pictures on the internet have you seen? You know, nobody's going to put a bad picture on the internet. But what the difference is, the internet doesn't travel. The internet doesn't have personal relationships with destination management companies. The internet doesn't work with the nuances of the airline situations where if there's a cancellation and the airline says, okay, you can't get out for three days from now, and then we look at it and we say, okay, wait, well, if we do, if we maneuver this, we change this, we look at this, uh, you know, we get you through a different city, we get you uh, sometimes on a different airline. A lot of times people don't even realize, you know, if an American Airlines cancels a flight and United Airlines has an option, they, they will sometimes put you on that. And it depends. You have to ask. You can't just accept. So uh, why use an a-, a travel agent? Well, for planning purposes, we definitely have a lot more expertise and knowledge than, you know, the Internet's just going to show you pricing and so forth. And if and if people are looking for just inexpensive travel, that's, you know, they'll, they'll get that. It'll, it'll reflect what they're getting. If using and using an agent, there's We'll have a better idea of somewhere we just visited. We invest a lot of time and money in traveling. You know, we, we get, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you're going on vacation again. Well, I'll travel to places. I'll travel to a beach area, a conference or whatever. Never put my toe in the water. 
never go under the beach. So there's a lot involved. We, you know, we're, we're attending conferences constantly. We're, we're traveling places, making sure things are up to date and what we know and what we can recommend. So, you know, it, it, even if you think it's price only by booking on the internet, it may not be. But uh, like I said, sometimes people don't know uh, what 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 they're what they don't know because they're only looking at one thing or one source. And I always caution people as well to you know be careful with you know just looking at reviews on TripAdvisors and places like that because there's there's times. I've seen reviews on there, and I know personally, like firsthand, about a property or a hotel, and I'll say, "This doesn't really, yeah, this isn't right." I have people who just come back. You know, I know Steve, you've even given me uh, feedback on. Yeah, I've been live, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, I remember I was texting you from some of the destinations, saying, "This is great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that." And there was one mm-hmm. where I missed, I missed a driver, and I pinged you. Tom, I, I'll tell you okay. another thing, uh, and I'm not, I'm not known for my patience or dealing with being on hold and dealing with uh, a lot of crazy things. I would rather have somebody do that yep. for me. It's so worth it's it. It's worth it. it. Mm-hmm. So not only do you yep. know the ins and outs, the rights and the wrongs, and where to go, where not to go, but also you also provide that service of you take care of it because I got I just don't mm-hmm. have – that's not me. Right. And that's, that's very, very true. You know, one of the first – factors is time saving you know we we can do for you what you know you would spend time doing and and we don't necessarily spend the same amount of time that you would because we would have shortcuts and you you bring up a great point on hold i mean that's frustrating for everybody every you know every anytime you're trying to deal with anybody's customer service and you're on hold and bounced around um, well we have we'll have some different phone numbers than the general public will have so we can kind of um you know save time going going in that direction so yes it can help an awful lot depending upon like an agency of ours we have some elevated status levels with different airlines and different tour operators and so forth where we'll get in through a lot quicker and we can do things that maybe some others can't so that that's pretty important so yeah uh, talking about time savings is is, um, is is a big value, and you know we 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 work through that, and and having and one of the things that that I I'm surprised with, and I kind of am very skeptical with when the airlines will say, uh, how many times have you been on a, f- a flight schedule and you get a notice on your app on your phone? from the airline it says your flight has just been canceled please go onto the app and rebook your next flight it's very easy it's very simple i want somebody to tell me how easily they did that please and have them tell you and call in and tell you because i argue with the airlines a lot and i say you say it's that easy but it's not no okay and if if somebody is even for somebody who's a you know a road warrior out there uh a corporate traveler who's going once a week and so forth they're just this morning, we had corporate travelers calling us six o'clock in the morning because flights are canceled to help them reroute. Okay, so it's it's not easy to do, and you know the and and there are many times the what you're told is what's accepted, and next thing you know, you've lost two days of your vacation or a trip or something of I, that nature. I got to say so, this: I know we're at the end of the show. I wish <laughs> that we. I'm not going to go into too much detail. I was stuck in Florida for three days two years ago for spring training for baseball 
and how I wish somebody could have helped me. Nobody could help yeah. me. I mean, this I didn't schedule the flights. Some other organization yep. did. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, so it's more than your company just, yeah, go here, go there. You can really do a lot for them, and, and it's worth whatever it is to use you guys for sure. Yeah. And Tom, I tell so you what, things, real quick, yeah, Tom, I'll give, you, I'll give you the last word yeah. because I want people to be yeah. able to get a hold of you. And I do want to make a, yeah. a, one final comment and I'll give you the last word here. I used to think going to a travel agent was expensive. I still haven't figured out how you make your money because it didn't yeah. cost me any more than how I did it myself. The only difference was I didn't have to worry about anything. So I don't know if it's just the way you do business or, or this is a common thing in the industry, but, but I will tell you right now, I will almost never do a, re a real lengthy <laughs> intricate vacation without a travel agent but last word tom because we're almost out of time yep. where can folks get a hold of you and uh you know any last words and of where's wisdom? your office yep. so we're located at 250 clever road in robinson township mckees rocks pa 15136 our phone is off answered by a human every time 412-331-2244 the email address will be t d i e c k s at Greater G R E A T E R Pittsburgh Travel dot com all spelled out. Sorry, that's long, but just real quickly, yeah. How do we work? Um, we're one of the best in Pittsburgh at customizing and putting together itineraries. Steve, you've experienced that, so we do charge a fee for that service, uh, and it's for a couple of reasons. One, because of uh, our expertise and and our knowledge for you to be able to take advantage of it. We also like to know that people are serious about our profession and they not going to just take up time in wanting to know how to put together itineraries and, and try to do things on their own. So we are extremely busy even with that. Um, there are some services that don't have any fee at all, but airline tickets do come with a fee and we're, that's typical with any travel agency. So they're, they're not very expensive fees. They're somewhat nominal fees. So but that's, uh, that, that's kind of new in the industry now with some people reverting to fees. But there are some services that still no longer don't have any fees associated with them. But So that's kind of just a little bit of an idea how we work. Awesome. All right, Tom, again, I want to thank you very much. And, folks, I thank cannot you, speak more higher of Tom. He's fantastic. He does my thank vacations. You. He's very, very reasonable. <laughs> and, uh, again, I still haven't figured out how the heck you're staying in business because it's not costing me anything more than I would have expected. So, fantastic job. So, again, thank very you, Tom. True. And, folks, once again, I want right. to thank you. This hour flew by. In fact, we're, we're probably up against the clock at a hard stop. So I want to thank you all very much for tuning in. And Claudio, the last word. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, thank you, Mom and Pop. <laughs>